Our second reading, which will serve as the basis for our sermon, comes from Philippians chapter 3, verse 4b through 14. If anyone thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. God. The gospel for today comes from John chapter 13, verses 23 through 33. The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the 16th chapter. Glory Glory to you, you, O Lord. Lord. Jesus said, in that day you will no longer ask me anything. I tell you the truth, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. Though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use the kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day, you will ask in my name. I am not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf, No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. Then Jesus' disciples said, Now you are speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even have to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. You believe at last, Jesus answered. But a time is coming and has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home. You will leave me all alone. Yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, you, O Christ. Christ. Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. While I was a student at Concordia College in Ann Arbor, Michigan, 
A number of us enjoyed ice skating and playing hockey down on the Huron River, which bordered the, the southern edge of the campus. However, an almost daily requirement was having to shovel the ice of any newly fallen snow. And, and with the limited amount of daylight, all of the shoveling we had to do had a way of, of cutting into our skate time. So several of us approached the business manager requesting the use of the campus snowplow, a farm-all farm tractor with a blade attached to the front. And being the reasonable business manager that he was, he of course said, no, absolutely not. And why? Well, my guess is you probably have the same question that he posed to us. What if the ice does not support the weight of the tractor? Well, undeterred, we determined that the business manager's question <laughs> deserved an answer. So we found out how much a farm-all farm tractor weighed. And then a bunch of us guys whose combined weight surpassed the weight of the tractor gathered down by the river. And guess what we did? <laughs> yep, we huddled as closely together as we could for a walk about the ice, around the ice. It was a sight to behold. Now you might ask, what were you guys thinking? What if you had fallen through? But you see, we had confidence in the ice. And guess what? The ice held. Now when we again met with the business manager and told him of this, Again, being the reasonable business manager that he was, he still would not let us use the tractor. But what we learned in the process was that from that point forward, we never had to wonder about the ice. We now knew with absolute certainty that the ice would hold us. And knowing that, allowed us to be able to go out on that ice and freely skate and enjoy ourselves as often as we could. Well, I share that story with you because it illustrates what we are talking about today, the joy of faithfulness. You see, whenever you have someone in your life about whom you never have to wonder, someone whom you know with absolute assurance and certainty who will always be there for you, and when you can be that kind of person to someone else, there is great joy, there is great blessing to be experienced in that relationship. Well, my friends, that is the very joy of which the Apostle Paul writes concerning his relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, in his own life, Paul had experienced firsthand where God himself had once said, Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. And with that absolute certainty deeply rooted in his heart, the Apostle Paul experienced great joy and blessing in his life in and through his relationship with Jesus Christ. Yes, the Apostle Paul knew the joy of faithfulness which had especially been evidenced to him in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, as well as his Damascus Road conversion. God's faithfulness to Paul in Christ Jesus 
is what then prompted him to write here in our letter to the Philippians. I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. My friends, the question before you and I today is this. On what are you focusing in your life? Because what we see here today in Paul's letter to the Philippians is Paul's own answer to a question which Jesus himself once asked. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his own soul? So a few further questions for us to ponder today. When you take in the big picture of time, both now and in eternity, where do you look for assurance and confidence? Is it trustworthy and sure? In other words, how thick is the ice on which you are standing? How thick is the ice on which you are basing your whole life? Now, as a Jew, Paul points to several things to which he could have relied upon as the basis for his whole life for his security, for his confidence. And he talks about what we might call his pedigree, as well as his resume, the kind of things that we as humans tend to focus on and point to whenever we want to make ourselves look good or, or impressive in the eyes of others. Here in our text, Paul refers to those things as placing confidence in the flesh. In fact, back when he went by the name of Saul, these were things that meant everything to Paul and were indeed the focus of his life. I want you to hear what Paul himself writes. He says, if anyone else thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, from which, by the way, came a, a man, another man by the name of Saul, the first king of Israel, who perhaps was Paul's namesake. Paul goes on. A Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But the realization Paul had come to was that this confidence in the flesh amounted to nothing more than standing on very thin ice. Because when it comes to standing before Almighty God, none of these things matter. Not one's pedigree, not one's resume, nothing. Quoting from Psalm 14, Paul reminds us, there is no one righteous, not even one. And this became especially clear to Paul back when he went by the name of Saul. It was at a time in his life when it would seem that his greatest joy in life was taking Christians as prisoners to Jerusalem. How about having that on your resume? And while on his way to Damascus to do just that, he found himself standing in the very presence of the Son of God who said to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you? 
Saul asked. I am Jesus. Now talk about a true coming to Jesus moment. And I think we could easily say that did we, if we did not know how this story ended, that in that moment things did not look very good for Saul. If ever there was a time when somebody had it coming to them, this was it. But even when God could have, even when God had every reason to, or as we might think, even when God should have, yet God did not abandon Paul. He did not forsake him. He did not wash his hands of him. God did not drop Paul through the ice. Instead, Paul experienced mercy, grace, forgiveness, love, redemption, and restoration from the God who showed himself to be faithful to Paul. And there are several things that Paul learned from this experience. The first is that God's faithfulness saves. Paul writes of this in his first letter to Timmy when he writes, Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. In that verse, Paul is talking about you and me also being the beneficiaries of God's faithfulness. And because of God's faithfulness, there is joy and peace in knowing that our salvation is not determined, it's not based upon by what we do or do not do, because who of us could ever measure up? How blessed we are to know that in our life in eternity is determined by what God has done for us through his son, Jesus Christ. God's faithfulness saves. Secondly, God's faithfulness transforms. Paul talks about the transformation that took place in his own life. He writes, whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them to be rubbish, that I may be found in Christ, and, and be, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes through the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. Yes, because of God's faithfulness, 
There is great joy and satisfaction to be found in living sacrificially for the sake of the gospel. And that is in, indeed a definition, an example of Paul's life. And in that we see how God's faithfulness transforms us. Thirdly, God's faithfulness assures. In his letter to the Romans, Paul writes, And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Consider your own lives and what you are facing right now, and God's promise to Paul is also to you as well. Because of God's faithfulness, there is great joy and assurance in knowing that even during the trying times of our lives, even in the midst of what we are going through right now, God is still there for us. Corrie ten Boom, who, who survived the Holocaust of World War II, once said, when a train goes through a tunnel and it gets dark, you don't throw away the ticket and jump off. You sit still and trust the engineer. God's faithfulness assures. And that is where, my friends, that is why Paul was able to say that nothing compares to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus. This is the joy of faithfulness. And that's why in his letter to the Ephesians, the Apostle Paul declares, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. So my dear friends, I ask you once again, on what are you focusing your life? In response to that question, the writer of Hebrews would exhort us, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Indeed, may we this day join our hearts and our voices with the Apostle Paul's in saying, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. God grant that to each of us for Jesus' sake. Amen? Amen.